what we're going to talk about today. Don't worry, I've not got mixed up with a wedding for next week. Um, but as I was listening to Paul, I, uh, last week I, uh, I heard that phrase about something borrowed, and because of the unique way my mind works, I ended up here. And I thought, actually, that's fantastic. Something old, something new, something borrowed, something new, something blue, and a silver sixpence in a shoe. Jakarta is a traditional rhyme from 18-something that he used to say when you got married. Um, but I want to use it as a little layout for the next at least two, maybe three weeks, um, of sharing some things just to launch us. Uh, there will be some Bible verses in there, don't worry. We're not just going from an 1850s verse. But there was something about it that caught me, about something old and something new, something borrowed, something blue, which means fidelity. It means sticking with somebody. It means loyalty. And a silver sixpence, which is all about... Um, yeah, it begins with a P. <laughs> I've completely forgotten what the word is. That's it, provision. You see, you can't do this stuff on your own. Right, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. If we've got to start there. So, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Which is quite a, if you know a little bit about the Bible, you might know that verse, you might not. Um, but what it basically means is that when you understand that you were built to relate to Jesus, when you understand you were built to accept the fact that he loves you a bit and thinks you're fantastic, when you grasp that truth, what it means is that something happens in you. There are some things that are old that go, and there are some things that new that arrive, and actually that whole process continues. It's not a one-off process. Actually, all through your life, as you know Jesus, old should be going and new should be coming, even though old goes and new comes, new com continues to What's fascinating, though, about this idea of newness is, is something in the Greek, because the English version you read in the Bible was translated from documents written in ancient Greek. And English is a pretty rubbish language, basically. It's just rubbish. We have one word for love. The Greeks have four. We have one word for new. The Greeks have two. And so we have this kind of limited, rubbish attempt at words, and um, they have many. Have you got the next one? So when you think of new, uh, there's one Greek word called neos, and it's new in the sense of time and the clock. So whatever is the latest thing. So if you think about a phone, it lasts for about, what, nine months before it's old. Or a car, it lasts like six months before there's another one coming out. So that's this idea of new. Whatever's the latest, whatever's the, the latest in terms of time is new. It's neos. Um, my kids constantly call me the old man, um, which uh, all the teenage ones do anyway which to them I suppose I am, because I'm 41 and they're 16 and 14. So to them I'm old, because in terms of neos, I'm older. I don't know what they're going to call me when I get to 80, but anyways. Um, yeah. <laughs> Granddad, hopefully, but there we go. Um, but we're not for a long time, thank you, lad. Um, let's not go there. Um, but of course, in relation to them, I am old and they're young. But, but that's not what it says in this verse. In that verse where it says about the newest come, it doesn't mean new as in like neos, as in time. It means something different. Because there's another Greek word called kainos. And kainos is this idea of something being fresh. It's nothing to do with time. It's to do with when something appears new to you. So you discover something old and it appears as though it was new. It becomes fresh. It becomes alive. It becomes living. Something happens to it, which means there's a freshness and a newness to it. The difficulty for us is we live in a culture which celebrates and promotes neos over kainos, 
That's why things like X Factor and I'm a Celebrity and BGT and The Voice are so popular and Strictly. Because it's, I mean, who remembers who won Strictly in 2012? No, there you go, because it's not new. I don't even, I stay, what, anyway, whoever won it last year, and um, we know Harry won the jungle, but because it, it, it's new. So you want the newest thing, the latest thing, and everything about our culture is about new. Everybody's trying to sell you a new phone, even though it doesn't do much different to the last new phone, other than it's new. And we fall into this trap of spending a thousand pounds, thousand pounds, on something that's slightly better than the last one, which works perfectly well. And that's how consumed our culture is with new. That's how consumed it is. And so the difficulty is that when you live in that culture, as we all do, you are constantly looking for the next new thing. Never satisfied with what you've got because there might be something new, something neos around the corner. But when I talk about old and new, I'm not talking about the next new thing. I'm not talking about the latest trend, the latest Bible translation, the latest Christian music, as good and wonderful as they may be. I want you to think about new in terms of kindness. Because there are some very old things that can be very fresh. And I want you to consider what old things there might be that can be fresh and new to you this year. One of the things I started exploring last year was silence. And I'm going to explore it some more this year and more purposefully. Silence is a wonderfully beautiful thing. Of course, it's millennia old. But it brings an incredible freshness, especially in the world we live in today. Just put your phone away for 10 minutes. Turn everything off and sit and be quiet and let the voices rage in your head and see if you can find... It's a wonderful silence, really old. But most of us can't bear with silence. We've got the TV on, even when there's people there, we've got music on, we get in the car, the radio goes on straight away, or a podcast, or this, or that, or the other. Most of us are consumed with noise all the time. But maybe there's some freshness in something that's old. What about this book? It's old, like thousands of years old, some of it. And of course, if you've never read it, then it can be quite complicated and difficult to understand. If you've read it a lot, it becomes a bit like, yeah, read it, read it, read it, read it. Yeah, that's that story that I heard since I was, you know, four. But maybe there's a way we can find some freshness in something that's old. I want to, uh, I want to encourage you. You see, if you give space to it and give time to it, it can all become fresh and new. It can all come alive in whole new ways. And I know that we know, if you, if you, oh yeah, yeah, we read the Bible, that's what you should do as a Christian. I know it'd be helpful. But sometimes we don't know where to start and sometimes it, it, it seems a bit too much. But I've, I've put so, a couple of things at the back that are going to help you. One of them is called a five by five by five reading plan. You take five minutes a day, five days a week, and you can read the whole of the New Testament in a year. And it's brilliant because... It means that, because I've started these things before, and I get to February, and I meant to be on January 13th, but the date's February the 3rd. And then you just go, well, I can't read all that to catch up, so you give up. Anybody else been there in the past? There we go, nearly every hand goes up. Okay, wonderful. So, so, and then you give up, don't you? And it doesn't become fresh, it becomes boring and dull and a pain in the bum. But this one's fantastic because you have two days of rest every week. So if you miss Tuesday and Wednesday, you can catch up on Saturday and Sunday, and you're still in front. Isn't it good? Just five minutes for five days. Oh, there's another one. Go through the whole Bible via book. They're both at the back. I want to encourage you. Let's find some freshness in something that was old. Let's find some freshness in something that was old. 
Okay. And, and listen, if it's literally, I think it's the five by five phone is one chapter a day. You can do that, sat on the toilet. <laughs> eh? I'm just saying, there's times and places you can find five minutes. Some of you could find 15 minutes and do it in three months. I don't know. But I'm just saying. Do it in your lunch break. Go to the toilet. Do your Bible reading. Two things in one. There you go. Well, I don't tend to have my lunch on the toilet, Steve. But if that's what you do, then I wouldn't advise reading your Bible at the same time. But you see the point. You see the simplicity. And listen, if lots of us did it, we could encourage one another, couldn't we? If we're doing a similar thing, we could encourage one another. Take it on with it. Something else that's old is prayer. We met together on Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning this week, and we prayed in some situations. One of them we prayed into was for, for a young man who's really, really struggling, and his mum's struggling trying to look after him. And 48 hours later, we heard that something had clicked in this young man. Suddenly, it just clicked in him. Suddenly, he got up, he started cleaning the house, he started doing all sorts, he started... It was like someone just... You see, the people who are saying thank you were there, and they know who he is, and they know his mum, and they know what it means. But you don't, because you weren't there, so you can't rejoice in it. You see, prayer's old. It's been around for ages. You've got something else on, you're busy, you're tired. I know, one and a half hours a month, it's way too much to ask. The problem, though, is that prayer changes things. It changes the world around you, and it changes you. And I want to challenge you. I'm not happy that I'm the youngest person at the prayer meeting. <laughs> Until recently. <laughs> I forgot some were younger than me. No, but I just, I just want to encourage you, see? And I want to encourage everybody, but we have to learn how to pray, and you learn how to pray by praying with other people. Yeah. So you see me now, and you see me praying for you or individuals or all of us, and you might think it's rubbish, you might think it's great, I don't really care. But the issue is I'd learn by sitting at somebody and listening to them. I didn't learn by reading a book, I learned, and I didn't learn by doing it on my own. I learned by coming along when I didn't want to be there, and I was tired, and I thought it was a waste of time at times, because I just did, honestly. I was like, why am I here? What's the point? This is boring. I'm falling asleep. Actually, we're never boring. That's the truth of it. Well, when I came here, it wasn't boring. Um, but the, the reality is I learned, and I listened, and I went, oh, that's how you pray. And, and I caught something, and I grasped something. The truth is, you see, many of us have benefited from other people's prayers. But if you don't learn to pray, nobody can benefit from your prayers. So you're just receiving all this good stuff from everybody else who's covering you and thinking about you. But actually, and this is going to be a theme we're going to go back to, if you've received something from somebody else, you have to then grow up in that thing to give it to somebody else. Otherwise, you just sat there going, oh, okay, this is nice. Yeah, it's really nice. You get to enjoy everybody else's hard work and sacrifice. You get to enjoy it, and it's wonderful. But actually, there's a point where you have to go, no, now it's time for me to take my place. And I have to stand there and I have to learn because there are other people out there in this big wide world who need my prayers because their lives need transforming like my life got transformed. Yeah. 
At some point, you have to stop prospering through other people's prayers and start prospering through your own prayers, not just for yourself, but because there are other people who need your prayers so they can prosper like you've prospered from other people's prayers. Does that make sense? He did when I wrote it. Okay. And again, this is the thing. Listen, in the past we've prospered because others have sacrificed for us, but now it's time we make those self-same sacrifices for other people. When you've been restored to some degree, it's time to reach out and bring that healing and restoration to other people. And that is going to be the theme as we go through this whole year. If you have received anything, it's time to own it and start giving it away. This is not a house where you just sit and receive. Of course you do for a little while and that's wonderful and beautiful. But at some point you have to go, okay, the little I've got, I'm going to go give it now. There's another angle I want to look at something new and something old. And it's from the perspective of a journey. Sometimes moving into the new is wonderfully exciting. And other times it's horrendously scary. Now of course all of us are on some sort of journey. We're journeying through this thing called life. And some of it's good and some of it feels not so good. But, but for me, I hope that you are journeying on this thing that I call discipleship, that we call discipleship, which is a journey of becoming like the Jesus you read in the Bible. That's what it means to be disciple, to journey, to be like Jesus. Because Jesus lived this incredible life and interacted with people in incredible ways. But not only that, he had these incredible things like peace and compassion and grace and humility and security, and significance, and self-worth. He carried all these things. And discipleship means learning to carry all those things. But it also means being aware that he's a king and a lord. He's not just a friend. He's actually a king and a lord. And that means treating him like that. It also means you understand that if he's the king and you're an ambassador of the kingdom, that every moment of every day you represent and carry something of the kingdom of God. And if you understand you're an ambassador of the king, you will want to make sure you carry the king's things. Because if you say you're an ambassador of the king, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but you don't act like the king, you're a rubbish ambassador, aren't you? Which ambassador walks into an embassy and acts completely differently to the person he's representing? And yet tons of people around the world go, oh, yeah, yeah, I love Jesus, and they're not completely unlike the Jesus I read about. Poor Jesus. No wonder he has a bad name. So I want you to know that I take extremely seriously the task of ensuring every fibre of my bones reflects the kingdom that I know that I carry. Always looking for ways to reflect the king and his kingdom better and better. Of course, the journey of that is never easy. And often when we're on this journey, we look back and think we wish we'd never travelled this way. Often we go on this journey, and it's wonderful because God starts to speak to us and he starts to deal with us. He starts to go, you know, Adam, that sense of pride you've got, that's not good. That's not in my kingdom. I want you to deal with it. Or whatever it may be. And then you realise that now you're aware of it, so now you have to deal with it, and that's painful and difficult. And you think, well, it'd be much easier if you didn't tell me about it because then I wouldn't have to deal with it and be worried about it. The Israelites found themselves in Exodus in a similar place. Exodus chapter 14, verse 10 to 12. So the story is, the Israelites, just to give it some context for you, the Israelites have been in slavery for 400 years. Moses comes along. See you later night. Have a good day at work. Be blessed. Give out lots of tickets. <laughs> Catch lots of criminals. Well done. So the story is they're... Um, They've been in uh, slavery 400 years. They get, Moses comes along, long study short, they get set free. They leave Egypt. They come to the Red Sea, which they, they can't cross. So they look at the Red Sea, 
And Pharaoh's decided actually quite like his slaves back, thank you very much, because it was much easier when he had slaves to build all these pyramids. So he comes chasing after them. So they're stuck in this place. And it says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after him. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. You see, sometimes we want to unlearn what we've learned about ourselves and unhear what we've heard about ourselves because lives were easier and simpler before. Their journey of freedom seemed for them to be worse than the slavery they had been rescued from. Got the next one there, Josh? You see, sometimes the journey to freedom can feel worse than the slavery. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, of course, many people are enslaved by things that they think about themselves. So they're enslaved by this thought that nobody loves them. They're enslaved by this thought that they're not good enough. They're enslaved by all sorts of different thoughts. And trying to get out of those thoughts into a place of freedom is often more, seems more painful than just being trapped where you were. Sometimes, oftentimes, it feels worse before it gets better. You start wishing you'd never bothered and that you could unlearn or unhear whatever set you off on this path in the first place. Of course, that's the easy route. You don't achieve anything good without a fight or a battle. Generally, nothing good falls into your hands while you lie back and relax. It just doesn't work that way. To get something that's new, indeed, to renew yourself takes effort. That's the journey of discipleship, of renewing who we are, of daring to look at the ways we don't reflect God's kingdom and being bold enough and brave enough to face up to it and do something about it. That takes guts. It takes bravery. It takes incredible determination. It takes perseverance. But that's what it takes if you want to be transformed. I want to encourage those of you who are in the place the Israelites were in. They were on their way to freedom, but the road was tough. And at times they wanted to go backwards. But if you know the story, you'll know that God brings them through into freedom and the life that he promised. And he will do the same for you. This is his promise, Exodus 14 and verse 13. Through Moses, don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. So of course, this is a literal story, but we can take the principles of the story and extrapolate it out to some principles of life now. So Moses says this, and he says it to you, don't be afraid, because first you need to stand firm, so you can choose to see the freedom that is yours. And if you choose to stand firm, if you choose to fight and not back down, if you choose to get up every day ready to fight whatever it is, then the promise of God to the Israelites is your promise today. You will see freedom. The Egyptians represent whatever it is that you are struggling with, whatever it is trying to get out of. They represent the thing that you are fighting. And according to Moses, it says you will never see them again. What does that mean? It means it's possible to completely defeat that thing that you're battling with. Not just put it to bed, not just, not just always be an alcoholic but never drink. It means it's possible to kill it completely. Because according to this verse right here, you will never see it again. That's what it means to be completely healed in God. That's what God can do. Not just to make it all right, not just to help you get through, not just to make a good day better than the worst day you had, but to actually completely, totally and utterly set you free. That's what I know in my own life. And I know in many people that are here. 
It means it's possible to defeat the things once and for all, to conquer that thing you were battling, the anxiety, the shame, the anger, the poor self-image, the constant voice in your head telling you you'll never make it, that button of rejection that's so easily pressed, that sense of poverty that pervades your bones. It's all possible, it's all defeatable, and it's all winnable. Amen? It's all winnable. But are you going to stand firm? Are you going to get up every morning and go, yes, I am fighting. Even though yesterday wasn't a great day, today is going to be a good day. One of the things you need to do to do it, though, is to stop borrowing and start owning. You need to stop borrowing and start owning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10. It says this, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being, in, being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Now, I know that seems a little bit complicated, but the key to get out of it is this. Death is at work in us, but life's at work in you. In other words, it's what I've already said. Somebody else sacrifices and you gain. Somebody else prays and you receive. Somebody else blesses you and you get blessed. Somebody else gives and you receive. That's what it really means. When it means death is at work in me, but life's at work in you, that's what it really means. So he's talking about how death is at work in us, but life's at work in you. How we bring life to other people. You see, last week Paul talked about the journey of death to life. A journey of selfishness to selflessness. But the truth is that many people live on other people's dying. So what I mean by that is, you get to benefit from the fact that somebody else is bringing life to you. And that's a beautiful thing, that's how it's meant to be. But you are then meant to take that life, own it, and give it to somebody else. You're not just meant to take it and enjoy it. Of course, for a season you need to, because you're growing, you're learning, you're receiving, whatever it is. But at some point you have to then own it and give it to somebody else. I remember initially when I met Paul and I was with him, I'd be with him and I'd somehow I'd feel like there'd just be this security and this love and this peace, and I'd be like, oh, this is really nice. And then I'd go away and I'd wake up next morning and it was gone. It disappeared. And what happened there? Well, what happened there was that Paul's gone on this journey of owning this stuff, so now he literally carries it because he's becoming like Jesus because he's gone on a journey. And of course, I've gone on that thing, so now I know I carry it. I know that I carry certain things. I know that I carry peace. I know that I carry security. I know that I carry love. And I know that you pick it up when you're with me. I know that. But this is the thing. You can't give away what you borrow. You can't give away what you borrow. You have to own it to then give it away. And again, this is a theme we're going to keep coming back to again and again. This past year, we've prospered because others have sacrificed for us. And that's okay. That's okay. It's about fathers and sons and generations and releasing and all that stuff. It's fantastic. Yeah, let's do that. But once you've been released, once you've benefited, then you've got to go, right, now it's mine. Who am I going to find to give it to? Who am I going to get some peace for? And it might not be as much as this person had, but I've got some. So the little I've got, I'm going to give it away. That's how it works. And when you do that, you get more. As you give it away, somehow you get more. I don't even know how it works. I just know it's true. Uh, just jump on two slides, Josh, because I'm... Yeah. It's time that you own the security you borrow so you can pass on that security to somebody else. It's time that you own the peace you borrow so you can pass on that peace to somebody else. It's time you own the acceptance you borrow 
so you can pass on that acceptance to somebody else. It's time that you own the grace you borrow so you can pass on that grace to somebody else. Put whatever words you want in security, peace, accept, whatever it is that you appreciate and get from somebody else. You go, okay, I want to learn how to do that. I want to learn how to own this thing because somebody else out there needs it. If you need it, somebody else needs it. And if you got impacted by it and felt the love of God in it and got drawn in and got changed by it, well, somebody else needs to do that as well, don't they? Because yes. it can't just be about you, can it? It's got to be about people beyond you and people outside you, wherever they are. The problem is that as much as I might like to say a little prayer over you so you own it, it don't work like that. You have to work hard at owning these things. Peace, grace, mercy, compassion, security, love, self-worth. It starts, first of all, though, with realising that these things are not something you have to ask for because they are already yours. You've just got to learn how to own them. And I started writing how to do that, but then I realised we'd be here for another half an hour, so we're going to do that next week. Because I didn't want to rush over it, and there's enough in here to keep your mind ticking over. But what I'd like to do to close those, I'd, I'd like to pray for those of you who can identify with the Israelites, those of you who are feeling the weight of the journey. Just put the last slide up. So you can identify with this statement. The journey to freedom can feel worse than slavery. And again, what I mean by that is by slavery, I mean... I mean, something that has enslaved you, a negative thing that you've become aware of and now you're trying to deal with, whatever it may be, it might be an internal situation, it might be an external situation, it might be you're trying to give up smoking and actually it's hugely challenging and the journey is more, it'd be much easier just to pick up a, a cigarette and smoke again. But that won't get you into freedom. It, might, it could be anything external, it could be something internal, it doesn't really matter what it is, but I know this feeling. In both internal and external things, I know this feeling and it's rubbish. But right there is your moment, right there. That's your moment right there. You either give up or you get up. That's it. And I want to encourage you this morning to not give up because freedom awaits. And God said that if you stand still, he's going to do it. And I believe he will because he's done it for me many times and he keeps doing it for me. But you have to stand. And I'll tell you exactly how to do that next week. No, it's nothing new. I've told you many times before. But I want to encourage you and I want to bless you on that journey and I want to remind you that your freedom is always worth fighting for. It's always worth fighting for. For you, primarily. Of course, other people will benefit, but it's for your sake. Your freedom is for your sake so you can enjoy life more. It's not fun being trapped in those thoughts of anxiety. It's not fun being trapped in those thoughts of poverty or rejection. It's just not fun and it steals life away. I want you to be the freest person on the face of the earth. Which is what it means to be like Jesus. To be the freest person on the face of the earth. And it's all possible. It's all doable. It's all conquerable. Amen. Let's stand together. Because I think there's more than a couple of people who might identify with what I've been saying. Okay, I just, I just want you to take a moment and then I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing the song that Phil mentioned on the video, I Raise a Hallelujah, which is a song just all about declaring that God's big enough and he's got it and that no matter what the situation looks like, hallelujah means praise God. That's what it means, hallelujah. Hall, oh, it means praise God. <laughs> hallelujah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and it, it, it's basically a way of going, you know what, no matter what, I am going to say praise God because I'm going to see his deliverance. Okay, 
So whatever it is that you are thinking of, be it internal, external, just, just hold it in your mind's eye right now. Because I want to pray for you. Father, Lord, for, for all these people, Lord, and myself included, whatever we are fighting, Father, whatever we are feeling the weight of right now, Father, we feel in that place, a bit like the Israelites, trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army and thinking it would be easy just to go back and forget all this journey. But Lord, I know you want us to be free, Father. And we want to be a free people, Father. We want to be free to enjoy this world that you gave us. You said you give us all things to enjoy, Father. We want to be free to enjoy it all in a right way, Father. That's what your word says. And Father, I am asking for your encouragement, Father. I'm asking for your blessing, Father. I'm asking for your favour, Father. And I'm asking for freedom, Father, as, as these people choose to stand, Father. Choose to stand firm. Lord, would you, just like you did to the Egyptians, add your miraculous onto it, Father. Lord, as we do our part, we know you will do yours, Father. Amen. As we choose to stand firm, Father, we invite your spirit into our situations, into our lives. We say, Lord, we will stand. We will get up on the morning and we will determine to do what you have called us to do and process and deal with and all that, Father. And we're asking, Lord, that as we do that, we know you love to partner with us, Father your love and your grace. And Father, I ask as well, Lord, if there's anybody here, Father, who needs a, a new experience of you, Father, wherever they're at on the journey with you, Lord, Lord, I ask that you would speak to them, envelop them in your love, Father. Let them know they are loved by the Father God in heaven who is incredibly, amazingly brilliant, Father. Father, we lift your name up. Let's sing together, shall we?